You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome. Welcome to Monday. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day, depending upon how you want to call it. Uh, you're tuned to Fire It Up, and I thank you for being here. This is Steve. I host the show each week right here on WJMS Radio in the U.S. and on Double Mint Radio over in the U.K. And greetings to everyone. I uh, hope you're having a great, safe day. Uh, another busy, crazy week, and, you know, 22 days out from the U.S. presidential election. It's only going to get more nutty from here, I'm afraid. So let's get it started. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, Let's start off with, as usual, our uh, COVID update. Here in the U.S., we are at 7.74 million cases that have been reported. And 214,600 people have died from the disease. Over in the UK, you guys jumped uh, 100,000 cases since last week uh, to 603.7 thousand, and 42.8 thousand uh, people have died. And just a note, as I mentioned last week's show, there was a recording error that was reported uh, through Public Health England, and they had to update and adjust their numbers. Uh, so that 100,000 jump is likely including a portion of that. Um, related as we're talking about COVID, of course, this week, the uh, big news story was the outcomes from the uh, president of the United States uh, testing and, and becoming infected with the COVID disease. And he ended up spending uh, about three days or about 54 hours in total Uh, at Walter Reed Hospital receiving treatment for the disease. Uh, He returned uh, back to the White House on Monday. And, um, you know, the the whole episode was marked with just a very conflicting and confusing packed uh, outcome of information, both from the White House and from the president's medical team on many occasions and still to this date as of a week later almost 10 days later we still do not have a definitive report on when the president last tested negative prior to uh, his admission to walter reed army medical center Uh, that continues to be a question that's raised and it continues to be a question that both the medical community uh, involved with the president's treatment as well as the white house and the republican party uh, just are not answering um, in, in relation to that, uh, the president, through uh, the first couple of days back in the White House, uh, exhibited some very erratic behavior and statements, um, which caused a lot of people to wonder if uh, either the uh, COVID infection or the medical treatments he had received, particularly the uh, steroid treatment that he got for uh his his lung related uh, difficulties with the disease uh, actually were having an impact on his uh, decision making and and cognitive abilities. Uh, he made some some very confusing statements, um, and you know, of course, one of the first things he did when he got back to the White House uh, after he got off of the Marine helicopter that transported him from Walter Reed is he turned around, you know, he took off his face mask and then proceeded to film uh, several uh, campaign-related videos right from the entrance uh, into the White House from the South Portico. And these two were just very strange, Um, you know, and it had a lot of people wondering exactly what was going on with the president uh, in, in his behavior, in his, his speaking. Uh, it, it's been clear over the course of the week, if you've watched him, that you know, he's had, uh, he continues to have some difficulty in uh, breathing. His, his breathing is a lot more labored than normal. Uh, he was on an interview show on, on the Fox News uh, channel and it, interrupted uh, himself several times for a a brief fit of coughing. So, you know, there's a lot of of indication, a lot of questions flying around about what exactly the condition of the president is. Now, 
over the course of this past weekend, he held a, uh, a small but significant sized rally on the South Lawn of the White House uh, where there were several hundred people in attendance, some of which were wearing masks more than is, is typical for a Republican gathering to hear the president speak, uh, but still not 100% mask usage. And you know people were packed in shoulder to shoulder. So even though the president may still be contagious and reports coming from the president himself and from his medical team uh, seem to indicate that uh, they do not believe he is any longer, quote, contagious for COVID uh, or shedding the virus, close quote, um, there's still no documented or definitive proof that, you know, he has tested negative uh, and, and so forth. So, you know, really some unclear information coming out from the White House on the president's condition. And what we don't see happening is any large scale call from the Republican Party, uh, either, you know, with with criticism or concern uh, that the president is still spreading the illness yet uh, holding these public gatherings and and so forth. Uh, the Republicans continue to be very much uh, silent when it comes to anything considered as a criticism of the president. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll segue into that in the next segment right here. So, you know, we, we continue to be concerned uh, for the, the health of the president. And, you know, whether you are a, a supporter of Donald Trump or not, uh, you know, you, we don't wish anyone to suffer with this disease. Our, our hearts go out to the families of people that have died from this disease and, and the families of people who are struggling with the infection, uh, even though they, they you know, may have uh, recovered or, or so forth, we still don't have a clear picture on what the long-term implications of this illness are. We're just now starting to see you know, what they potentially could be with how the virus attacks the body. Uh, but, you know, to be sure, there really should be some, you know, Republican Party comment or position taken that says, you know, as, as a recommendation even to the president um, that perhaps he needs to stand down his public opinions, or I'm sorry, his public appearances, uh, and, and be much more cautious in terms of uh, what opportunities he has at spreading the disease. He has been seen being in the White House and, and meeting with people without wearing a face mask, even though he is uh, performing you know, the, the distancing a lot better than he used to. Uh, but still, you know, it, it is a closed environment. And at last count, I believe it's 35 people that have been infected uh, in the White House uh, staff and, and community uh, by COVID-19, ostensibly getting it from the president himself. So, you know, it, it, it's one more example, as, as we talk about on this show um, all the time, we focus on the mechanics of the political system, not so much the people, unless, you know, they are central to the, the issue at hand as, you know, the president of the United States having COVID uh, would be central to the issue as I just finished. But, you know, what we have seen of late is that the games, the, you know, the brinksmanship, all of that that has been, you know, a hallmark of the Trump administration between Republicans and Democrats, uh, that has continued on. And in fact, in some cases, it has actually escalated. Uh, as, as the president was being treated in the hospital uh, for his COVID and since his return, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, particularly the Democrats in the House of Representatives, have begun discussions on uh, the mechanics of implementing the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. And for those of you that aren't familiar, let me uh, take you through what the 25th Amendment is uh, the 25th Amendment deals specifically with how a president, a sitting president, uh, can be removed from office uh, for a variety of reasons, all kind of under the umbrella 
of inability to perform the duties of the position. Uh, when you, if you go to the, the Constitution of the United States and you go look up the 25th Amendment, there are four simple sections to it. It, it is a very short amendment. Uh, it is uh, very clear and, and concisely written. So the four components of the 25th Amendment, uh, section one, uh, and I'll read it to you because it is not that long. In case of the removal of the president from office or if of his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. That's uh, uh, say uh, section one. Section two, whenever there is a vacancy in the office of vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority vote of both houses of Congress. Section three, whenever the president transmit to the president pro temp pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, his written declaration that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. And until he transmits to them a written declaration to the contrary, such powers and duties shall be discharged by the vice president as acting president. And then section four, which is the section that the Democrats are are noodling around uh, as we speak, is whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro temp of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting President. So, I mean, those are the four action segments of the 25th Amendment. So what, is it, what exactly does that mean? Well, the 25th Amendment was put in place uh, to guarantee a succession of leadership should, you know, something uh, interfere or interrupt or, you know, terminate the ability of the sitting president to fulfill the duties and responsibilities of his office. Uh, notably, you know, should the president die while in office uh, or, you know, be killed while in office, as we had with, you know, John Kennedy, Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, via assassination. The 25th Amendment is invoked in order to assure that there is a continuity of leadership in the government by placing the vice president in the role of acting president to continue uh, the work and responsibilities of that office. Uh, in other situations, the 25th Amendment has been invoked when for, you know, less severe but, but no less incapacitating uh, re reasons uh, such as, uh, you know, a good example is uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was uh, re removed as, as, as president during the two instances where he was in Walter Reed Medical Center. The first was as a direct result of the assassination attempt on his life where he was rushed to the hospital and was incapacitated while there was surgery being performed. In that case, the 25th Amendment was invoked and the vice president uh, took over the role and responsibilities of president. And then the second was when he was at the hospital again for surgery for his colon cancer. And also at the same time, because the president was going into surgery and would be under sedation and, and basically unconscious, the uh, requirements were that the 25th Amendment would be invoked in order to continue the chain of leadership and the chain of command of the U.S. government. Uh, so, you know, this, is, this has been invoked uh, uh, a few times throughout the history of our country, uh, most typically when the president has needed some type of medical treatment or would be, you know, incapacitated uh, due to, you know, surgery or anesthesia and so forth. It is, is seldom invoked, uh, and it's only been a couple of times. Uh, probably the, the most recent uh, application or intent to apply the 25th Amendment was during the administration of Richard Nixon, 
when because of all of the controversy and all of the troubles surrounding the Watergate investigation, uh, a group of Republican senators came to the president and said that, you know, there was a majority of the House and Senate that believed that the president should be removed from office, uh, you know, pending impeachment uh, due to the high crimes and misdemeanors that were performed uh, in, in the Watergate matter. Um, and that, of course, led to Richard Nixon resigning. Now, as as goes with the current situation, um, as I said, the Democrats are are processing and looking into filing a bill that would create a bicameral uh, independent uh, body to evaluate the president, including medical and psychiatric evaluations and prepare a recommendation for both houses of the uh, legislative branch, the House and the Senate, as to whether or not the president is unfit for duties and should be removed from office under the 25th Amendment, thereby placing, you know, Vice President Pence as acting president throughout for the remainder of the term of office, uh, assuming, you know, on the one hand that, you know, the Republicans are not successful in the reelection, or if they are, until a new president could be elected uh, by you know the the people of the United States and how that would work uh, is you know, part of that discussion. Um, so the the Democrats have have placed this this uh, this action out there in the public, you know, in public, uh, both as an intention of action but more so as a threat to the Republicans uh, to, to get their will imposed on a couple of different things. One, the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Barrett to the Supreme Court to fill you know, Justice Ginsburg's uh, seat. Uh, two, to uh, add pressure to the process of getting you know, economic relief to the American people and other elements under the, the uh, COVID-19 response, the pandemic response. So, I mean, they're playing a, you know, a very dangerous game, Democrats are. Uh, this strategy could very easily backfire on them and cause a Republican backlash, which would show up at the polls uh, in 22 days and could result in the progress that the Democrats have made in leading the polls in the presidential election and leading in many of the contested markets uh, in the Senate and the House uh, could lead to reversals of that. Uh, so it could end up being a very bad thing for the Democrats. Now, as I said earlier, the Republicans, you know, they're playing games as well in that they are playing, you know, a, a very evident uh, duck and cover on the issue of the president's COVID-19 diagnosis and treatment. Uh, there's been no Republican outcry or call to change the strategies or requirements of, you know, Republican political gatherings or campaign gatherings, uh, you know, even after the uh, presentation of Judge Barrett uh, mm -hmm. to the public in the Rose Garden uh, a couple of weeks ago has likely been credited as the super spreader event that led to the infection of you know 35 uh, members of the White House staff and, and organization as well as uh, at least 10 uh, senators in the um, in the Senate. Um, there's as I said, there's been no call or outcry or no demands made upon the president to modify his uh, campaign strategies or his safety policies at those campaign events. Um, there's been no encouragement over masks and social distancing. You know, if you look back over the last few weeks at Republican events that have been held, the one, the, the things you have in common are a, a, fairly substantial group of people, 
ranging from the hundreds to the thousands. Very little mask wearing, no social distancing, um, and you know a lot of people who got in very close proximity to people who have been determined to come back positive for COVID. To date, some uh, as many as 34 people have been recorded as uh, coming down positive with COVID-19 uh, who were either you know, in close proximity to the president or one of the other uh, initial people who were infected. Uh, these people include um, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, White House Communications aide Hope Hicks, uh, the president, of course, and the first lady, Melania Trump, uh, were infected. Senator Mike Lee, a Republican of Utah. Senator Tom Tillis, a Republican of North Carolina. Former White House counselor Kellyanne Conway. Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, Republican of Wisconsin. Uh, John Jenkins, who is the president of Notre Dame University, uh, who was at the Rose Garden ceremony for Amy Comey. Barrett's uh, nomination, three unidentified White House reporters who attended the ceremony, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie uh, became infected and has been in the hospital for, uh, I believe, almost five days as of the airing of this show, uh, Director of Oval Office Operations Nick Luna, uh, White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany, uh, two unidentified White House communications aide. Uh, White House Senior Advisor Stephen Miller, White House Security Officer Chief uh, Creed Bailey. While there is a large list of people who have uh, ex been exposed but have tested, have, have tested positive, there's also a significant number of people who uh, ostensibly were exposed but have come back as negative. Uh, Representative Jim Jordan was in proximity. Eric and Laura Trump, uh, related to the president. Senator Ben Sass. Uh, president Trump's son, Barron, has also tested negative. Ivanka Trump. Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, has tested uh, negative. Uh, Supreme Court nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, she previously had tested positive earlier this summer uh, and uh, was was cured or uh, the disease uh, ran its course with her. Senate Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham uh, came back negative. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow. And, you know, the list goes on. There are a lot of people who you know, were in proximity and were at risk for exposure to COVID who have, as of yet, uh, tested negative. Also, you know, Vice President uh, Pence and um, Senator Kamala Harris uh, and Second Lady Karen Pence have also all tested negative. So, you know, the, the risk is out there. And as I said, you know, the Republicans uh, have taken a very low profile in, in terms of expressing any but the most light concern um, and no outrage as to the amount of risk that the activities of uh, the president and other people have exposed, uh, you know, just just numbers of people to potentially, uh, you know, deadly disease. You know, as we've said, you know, over you know, 214,000 people in this country have died from this disease. This is not something to be taken lightly. Uh, so other games that we see going on, you know, the Republicans are also, uh, and the Democrats, let me, let me be clear, the Republicans and Democrats are playing this game of chicken with the economic assistance package where, you know, they, they keep dancing around uh, coming to an agreement on not only the stimulus payments to the American people, but the supplemental unemployment income and other elements that, um, you know, the, the people of this country, especially those of us like myself who are unemployed, we are looking for the government to help us. And the Republicans and Democrats keep batting this ball back and forth and not getting anything done. 
So, you know, we definitely need to, as I mentioned last week, we definitely need to be stepping up our communication with our elected officials to get them off the dime to come to an agreement so that much needed help and assistance to the people of this country and small businesses and, you know, schools trying to to reopen safely and state governments who are absolutely bleeding money in combating this disease so that, you know, these people can receive much needed assistance. So there's there's a lot to be debated here in terms of, you know, how much our elected officials on both sides of the aisle really uh, are not working to our best advantage. And we need to hold them to account for it. So let's um, let's take our break here. When we come back after the break, we're going to pick it up and continue our discussion. We're going to focus a little bit more on the vice presidential debate, which occurred Tuesday. So stay tuned. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com and on Double Mint Radio over in the UK. This is Steve. We'll be right back after the break. People! The world today is in a very difficult situation. And we all know it. Because we're the ones who created it. We're going to have to be the ones to clean it up. To live together and love each other. Because I believe one day, someone or something is going to want to judge who's creating all this corruption and death and pollution and all these difficult situations on earth. He's gonna wanna know who's gonna take the weight.
Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Radio and Doublemint Radio over in the UK. We're glad that you're here. We've been having a discussion on the games that are being played at the political level, which is what this show is all about. Uh, Just wanted to wrap up a couple of points from the first segment uh, where I was talking about the games that both the Democrats and the Republicans uh, have been playing uh, over the course of the recent months, weeks, and so forth. So I've talked before about on this show about strategy and tactics. Uh, The Democrats have been playing a largely strategic game in that they have taken the approach of using big impact weapons to try and affect the change. And the Republicans have been countering that with a very sniper-like series of tactical uh, attacks that have actually been affecting some change that they seek. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, in Texas right now, which uh, is at risk of uh, voting you know, more toward the Democratic side, I uh, don't know if the state will go entirely blue, but it's going to go substantially purple in a lot of areas. So what happened is the Republican governor uh, instituted some legislation that restricted the number of polling uh, spots where you can drop off ballots to one per county. Uh, and since some counties in Texas have, you know, many millions of residents, that creates a logistical nightmare that makes it very, very difficult in order for the vote to be um, concluded. You know, if, if you've got to drive you know, three and a half hours and believe me, I've been in Texas and it's like that uh, to get to the one polling place in the county where you can drop off your absentee or vote by mail ballot and then turn around and drive three and a half hours back after, you know, spending, you know, maybe an hour or two hours waiting in line to drop off your ballot, that becomes an obstacle uh, for people to, you know, just say the heck with it. I'm not going to go through that. I'm not going to vote. Look at um, South Carolina, where, you know, Lindsey Graham's been in a tough battle and there have been restrictions placed on you know, when you can vote and how you can vote. Uh, look at Florida, where the people, by an overwhelming more than two-thirds majority of the citizens of Florida, voted to allow uh, former felons who have completed their, all of their prison requirement, probation, parole, and all of that, to have their right to vote restored to them, and the Republican legislature turns around and uh, amends the law to add a requirement that all financial obligations need to be uh, resolved before that voting right is restored. Essentially, that has been um, uh, attacked as being an unconstitutional poll tax, which in effect it is. Uh, you look at you know what's going on with you know, voter restrictions that have been happening in other states, um, you know, and it, it just goes on and on for the delaying tactics, um, you know, the, the voter restriction tactics, the thinly veiled uh, poll tax or, or poll test tactics going on. And you see the difference between a strategic game and a tactical game. So, you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, the the right to vote is enshrined in our Constitution. It is one of the principal cores of our democracy. Uh, but yet the executive branch uh, aided and abetted by the judicial branch in the form of the Department of Justice uh, in part. And it is hoped that the uh, Supreme Court, with the addition, if successful, of Uh, Judge Barrett to the bench will form, you know, that wall that's going to work to keep voters away from the polls. So, you know, as as the voters, as the electorate, we've got a a battle being raged uh, to retain control of one party over the other and one branch of government over the balance of government. And this is something that we need to actively be fighting against and doing everything we can to make sure that our elected officials, both 
you know, from the local level all the way up to the federal level, understand in very clear terms that this is unacceptable, that, you know, the American people want to be the arbiter of how our democracy gets run. And we do that through the exercise of our right to vote. So, and again, this is not party specific. This is Republican uh, looking to seek to improve the Republican Party, to improve the Republican end of uh, government leadership. And this is Democrats looking to engage and implement their vision of what America uh, is supposed to be. So we all have a stake to play in this. So the key is, you know, number one, we've got to make sure that in this election that we get our vote in and that the vote is properly tabulated and properly counted. And we need to do that by whatever means are at our disposal. Um, in, in many areas of the country right now, as of this uh, recording, uh, early voting is already in place and happening. And many, many millions of votes have already been cast. Uh, more states will open up early voting and mail-in voting uh, timeframes. And then, of course, you know, the national election on the 3rd of November, some 22 days from now, uh, will also happen. And it goes without saying that given the unique circumstance we're in with our country being under this pandemic and mobility and the ability to get around and, and be in places is restricted for health reasons, uh, it is going to take a while for all of these mail-in ballots to be tabulated. Uh, as reported in some media outlets, you know, states have different rates at which they count the ballots. You know, Florida is, is widely touted as being a very fast state in terms of counting the, the, the mail-in and absentee ballots, while others are less fast, you know, will, will take longer. So we are not going to have a definitive election result as we have in presidential elections past where, you know, you sit up until late at night and at some point, you know, the, the media and the polls declare who the winner is based on what has transpired at the voting booths around the country. That's not going to happen on November 3rd or November 4th. It may take a week. It may take 10 days, you know, but we are just going to have to wait for the final certified results. And we're going to need to make sure that there is proper and correct oversight over the election process to make sure that that final tabulation is, you know, honestly and fairly arrived at. You know, there are all kinds of, you know, uh, threats. I, I don't want to use the word threat. There are all kinds of, of indications of various levels of interference up to and including, you know, the president explicitly urging his supporters to go to the polls and watch over the vote being done. Now, number one, uh, unless you are a registered poll watcher, you cannot go inside the polling place unless you are there to vote. Uh, so, you know, be wary that there are people who will try to uh, get into the polling place and, you know, do more than just observe. They will be there perhaps to intimidate or to even harass voters. There will be people outside the polling place who may, you know, try and question your legitimacy to be there and vote. If, as we have said in this show many, many times over the course of this political season, in fact, over the, the course uh, of the nearly year that this show has been broadcast, um, you should, if you have all of the documentation you need to prove your identity and you are you know, legally registered and recorded as a registered voter, no one can stop you from going into a polling place. No one can question your right to be there. You have the right to vote. And if you have all of your, your paperwork in place and all of your ID and everything you need in place, you go vote. They cannot stop you. Uh, if they you know, try to ask you questions, then you, know, you need to let them know that you are exercising your right to vote 
and it is illegal for them to interfere with your progress in getting into the polling place in order to cast your ballot. So just so you know that, uh, let's make sure that we get everybody we can out to vote and that we do everything we can to make sure that that vote is properly counted. So moving off of that, you know, and, you know, kind of talking a little bit about what else transpired this week, uh, this past week, uh, we had the vice presidential debate. Now, first of all, and, and, and most notably, this debate was a lot more calm and organized uh, and, and less disruptive than the presidential debate the week prior. And uh, as a result, you know, a lot more substantive information was conveyed by both candidates. Um, there were, you know, some really good questions asked and answered. Um, not all of them, you know, truthfully or fully factually, but that's to be expected in a debate that the truth will be uh, stretched and, and molded and modified uh, to suit the needs of the party answering the question. But on the whole, it was a much more civil and um, comprehensive debate than the presidential debate. Um, both participants uh, were very careful and respectful during their, their question and answer period. Uh, while you know, there were interruptions made, um, mostly on the part of Vice President Pence, you know, interrupting uh, Democratic candidate uh, Kamala Harris, and uh, in a, to a lesser extent, uh, actually talking over the moderator and exceeding his time. But again, that's not unusual for a debate uh, at the political level. Um, there were, you know, not as many false statements made by you know the candidates in this debate. Uh, it's not to say that there weren't falsehoods uh, stated or, you know, the, the answers to the questions didn't um, stray away from, you know, what the accepted truth of the question was, um, you know, and on the whole, um, Kamala Harris scored better in terms of the fact check counts uh, that I saw and you know in terms of the number of uh, things that she said that were you know blatantly false uh, there were only a couple there were a few more that were counted as mostly false or partly false but on the whole most of her answers the overwhelming majority of her answers were on point and were, were fact-checked to be correct or mostly true for the vice president, on the other hand, um, there was a lot of shading of the answers, um, some selective answers where, you know, he would, would cherry pick uh, the parts of the answer that best suit the Republic, Republican agenda. Uh, and there were a few things that, you know, were really blatantly not true, um, one of which uh, was his defense of the you know, prosecution by the uh, the district attorney uh, in the Breonna Taylor grand jury uh, trial, and he he really gave a, a sort of one sided view of that, where you know it it he did not mention the fact that there were no charges brought against police officers for the actual death of Breonna Taylor, and in fact the evidence presented. To the grand jury uh, at the time was was again slighted in favor of protecting the police rather than seeking to bring the full truth to light, um, you know. And in another case, um, you know, it, it was a, a situation as was you know a, a few times with um, Senator Harris where you know she gave an answer that reflected a more recent reality but didn't uh, address the fact that in her prior uh, career as a prosecutor and the California Attorney General, 
um, that you know she was of an opposite opinion. For example, you know Senator Harris said uh, during the debate, "We will decriminalize marijuana," yet did not mention the fact that in 2016 she did sought, she declined to take a public position on the California ballot measure to legalize recreational marijuana. You know, um, so, you know, as in all debates, there was some, you know, shading, some definite, um, you know, picking of answers and cherry picking answers. Uh, I will say one of the things that uh, Senator Harris was called to task on was the questions that she avoided answering entirely. Uh, she did not speak to the uh, alleged and supposed plan of the Biden administration to implement uh, Supreme Court packing, that is adding you know, an additional number of seats to the Supreme Court to balance the uh, Republican-influenced conservative majority. Uh, she also um, did not uh, uh, address directly the the ban on fracking that the Republicans have said Biden has uh, proposed. Uh, the truth of that is that, you know, candidate or former Vice President Joe Biden has said that he will look to ban fracking on public lands and in the oceans, uh, but he has not come out against uh, banning fracking on private lands or other areas. Uh, and that's a well-documented statement. Um, so, you know, overall, uh, I found the vice presidential debate to be much more substantive than the presidential debate, if for no other reason than, you know, one uh, participant didn't spend most of the time trying to talk over both uh, the opponent and the moderator. Um, and they got a chance to actually deliver some substantive answers and engage in a little bit of give and take between themselves and get more information out to the American people. So all in all, I think it was a, a better debate than the presidential debate. Now, you know, just to, to keep debates uh, going as a topic, um, in, in the, the last week, uh, there was supposed to be a second presidential debate that has been canceled uh, in part due to the fact that the president uh, was stricken with COVID-19. But even after that, uh, he has declined to participate in a virtual debate. Uh, to, and according to the president, it's because of a fear that his microphone will be cut off, which if you think about it, if you don't run over your time extensively or you don't talk over people, your mic won't get cut off, Mr. President. So, you know, live by the rules and, you know, you'll have a good time. Um, and the question on whether the third presidential debate will take place, uh, at least as of the airing of this show, is still something that is somewhat up in the air. So, you know, uh, again, this strange political season we're in the midst of continues and you know, we will continue to to have these issues. Um, and you know, that's just something we're going to have to live with. But what I will say is no matter what goes on with the campaign, when it comes to the vote, uh, I urge, I plead with everyone that's out there who is registered to vote, do whatever you need to do in order to get your ballot cast, whether it's you know early voting, voting by mail, or voting in person, um, but get that ballot in so that we have a clear understanding of, you know, what this election result is going to be. You know, I'm, I'm not getting into the issue of predicting who's going to win or who's going to lose. Um, that has always been, or at least in the last 10 years, has proven to be a crapshoot. So the only thing I can predict is that we must have a high voter turnout. All right, so the last thing I want to uh, kind of mention and talk about here on the show for this week, uh, also during this week, a uh, report came out from the Federal Reserve, and particularly from Fed Chair uh, Powell, uh, on the effects of COVID-19 and, in general, and the stimulus 
uh, process, which I've already talked about uh, in particular. Uh, he came out and issued uh, a, a very straightforward and somewhat stern warning that the longer the government delays in getting needed stimulus out to the the taxpayers and out to small businesses and the schools and the states and all of the things that the stimulus package is intended to do, the longer that's delayed, what's going to end up happening is it is going to lengthen significantly the time it is going to take for our economy to recover. And, you know, this administration has been laser focused on the performance of the stock market as an indicator of how well the economy is doing when in fact it is not the stock market that is the bellwether of the economy uh, the stock market does you know tell us you know which of the billionaires and millionaires and which of the you know one percenters and the tenth uh the tenth of one percent uh at the top uh are doing and that they are making you know millions hundreds of millions and billions of dollars while you know the rest of us are trying to figure out how we're going to put food on the table, pay the rent, pay the car payment, and so forth. But what uh, Chairman Powell was saying is that um, you know if the decision to hold up, which uh, President Trump ordered uh, early in the week to stop all negotiations, um, if that decision stands, then the growth in the economy will slow to mid-single digits in the fourth quarter. Uh, it sits at roughly 30% here in the third quarter, and it makes the economy more vulnerable if another shock were to hit. Um, you know What that means is our economy right now, uh, although it is moving along, it is in a fragile state, and any of these you know, major shocks uh, to the economy can create a cascade effect of you know increased joblessness, inflation, uh, and also depress the stock market as well. So you know it, it is imperative that you know we communicate with our elected officials and let them know that a a stimulus package for the country is an absolute necessity. It needs to happen, not just for the people, but that's the most important reason, but also to help shore up our economic system to help strengthen it and keep it building and moving forward. So, you know, call to action, communicate with your legislatures, uh, with your legislators, all the way up the chain from local to federal and let them know that whatever actions they need to take in order to strengthen our economy and support getting a stimulus package out for the elements of our economy that have been most affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we need to make that happen. And as we, uh, as we head toward the finish, I do want to uh, announce a little bit of show-based news. Uh, some of you may have seen that uh, there's been an addition to the uh, Fired Up Radio uh, Facebook page in that uh, I now have a new uh, note that I will be posting out on a, a not scheduled but a pretty regular uh, uh, schedule uh, called This Just In. And basically, you know, as I said, and I believe I, I, I introduced it last week, there's so much news going on of a political nature, the political machine, that there's no way that I can encapsulate it all and, and bring it to you in a one-hour format and do it any kind of justice to make it understandable uh, and, and digestible. So what I'm doing now is those stories that I, I felt were important but I just didn't have time for in the show I'm now going to, you know, give you information and an overview of those stories on my Facebook page, uh, which is uh, Fired Up Radio, uh, and that's on Facebook. You can search for it, and it will be under the banner of this Justin, and they'll just be, you know, news alerts, uh, links to articles, you know, links to other documents in support of what's going on, but just a way for me to expand the information that I'm getting to you each week. 
So as you see these come up and, you know, with the craziness of this political season, uh, there will start to be more of them that you see on a weekly basis. I encourage you to go to our Facebook page, uh, you know, follow it, uh, like it and make sure that you get alerts when we post some new information to the page. Uh, there'll also be you know, information going out in the Twitter feed uh, with links to the Facebook page so that you know, you, we'll get the broadest coverage possible of news that I think is important for you as an informed voter to know as we go into this most important election season. So I, I'd love to hear what you think of the, the new edition. Uh, let me know what you think of, of this just in. Uh, and you can you know, reply, as always, to the email address for the show, which is firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, you can comment on the Facebook page itself, and I'd love to see your thoughts, uh, whether you agree or disagree. And, you know, by all means, if you don't agree with the position that I've, I've posted there, let me know. And uh, we can get into that. We can hash that. So let me know what you think. Uh, the... Facebook page is Fired Up Radio on Facebook.com. The email address is FiredUpRadio at Yahoo.com. And as always, uh, follow us on Twitter at RUFiredUp. It's A-R-E, the letter U, Fired Up. And that comes out on Twitter. That way you'll get all of the information uh, that can help you to be an informed voter. Uh, to understand the political process at your local, state, and federal level, and hopefully get you a chance to engage with us here at the show. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. As always, I thank you ever so much for joining me. Uh, my name is Steve. This is Fired Up right here on WJMSRadio.com and Double Mint Radio. Uh, please stay safe, protect yourself, wear your mask, practice your distancing, uh, get out and vote, vote, vote. So that's all we have. Uh, everyone take care, and I will speak to you again, as always, in seven days. message wherever you stand I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late